0: This is The Ignition Show, an after-show edition. Hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to the podcast. I'm Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, and today is what we call our after-show. It's a special episode where we look back at the most recent interview and pull it apart to see how the ideas have impacted us. Us, by the way, refers to my wife and business partner, Sarah, and I. We're learning, too, and not only have we created this podcast to help provoke, inspire, and fuel your greatness, but we're on our own journey. We want to learn and grow as individuals and as a couple, and heck, we're human too. We have days and moments when we're crushing it and plenty of moments when we're not. So the After Show episodes are here to help you, help you to deepen the learning, speed the implementation of the great ideas, and to accelerate the route to your greatest aspirations and an extraordinary life. We're excited to be on this journey with you side-by-side side, moving forward with the entire Ignition Show community. We'd love to hear what stood out for you in this episode, so please go to our Facebook group, that's The Ignition Show on Facebook, and join if you haven't yet, and let us know what you heard from this episode that really impacted you. All right, it's time to ignite the spark within you. Let's get to the episode. So this conversation I had with Catherine Bailey about mastering emotions, it uh, made me realize that there's there has been a theme over recent podcasts. Um, about understanding emotions, the emotional part of life. Maybe and
1: that's because it's a theme of your life.
0: Probably, yes. As, uh, I, I since I get to choose the guests and choose the topics. Um, but part of the reason is because I know, I have learned through my journey, that uh, we are emotional creatures and it's so, so critical that we understand how to manage our emotions and couple that with the fact that we're never taught to do that. No, we're never. never taught to do that. Or in fact, at least we're not usually, well. yeah, we're not taught well. We are often taught with re- bad role models as to how to navigate the um the ups and downs of life. And so, I appreciated a lot of what we covered off in the conversation with Catherine, covered a wide variety of things. But I think there's a couple of root, um, root themes that that really emerged. Um, but I'd love to hear what you what resonated with you.
1: Well, there were three things that that came out for me, but I'll just focus on one right now is. The idea that um, when Catherine said we can, we can think two different things about a person, right? Like it's not black or white, mm-hmm. and it made me realize that, for the most part, I'm I'm getting much better at it. But for for the most part, I have lived in black and white. Like if someone offends me, then that's it. You know, oh, they're yeah. they're no longer a friend. Uh-huh. Or or com- or conversely, if a good friend that I love and admire does something bad, I'm, I'm very quick to overlook it and I make excuses for them instead of just acknowledging, yeah, that was a crappy thing to do, but mm. I can still love them and admire them and respect them in, in many other ways. So it was, yeah, a good um, conscious reminder, I guess, that I'm getting better at it, but I'm by no means perfect. And for the majority of my life, I have lived in black and white for a lot of this.
0: Yeah, and as I said before we started this, I've seen that show up just in, in your reaction to people or events. And sometimes I say things, say, say something about it. Sometimes I don't. But I, I have recognized that there often is. Um, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have described it as black and white in terms of how you respond. But um, one chink in the armor can really set someone back in, in your eyes. And um, I think I've been. I felt at times the early in our relationship that I might've been, uh, um, the one at the other end of that. Um, but, uh, so how are you, what would you say that you're doing to be more conscious of that or?
1: Well, I think just this, this conversation with, with Catherine gave me, um, better clarity or maybe different language around it that mm-hmm. yes, I can, I cannot not like so- something they did, but still have them in my life or, or like them or like everything else about our friendship can continue on as it were, or any type of relationship in the, the most recent case, I think that you've, you're alluding to is a business relationship where we hired someone to help us out, um, around, you know, doing various duties around the house and something they did really let me down and didn't, didn't align with my values. And I was very quick to be like, ah. Oh, this really sucks. Cause I, I liked this person and it was a real conflict for me because I liked everything else about that person, except for this one thing. And I, for probably half a half, no, I was going to say half an hour, but probably three hours, you know, not constantly, but over the course of three hours, I let that overshadow everything else right. that I thought about that person. Everything else was great. And I'm like, it kind of, it, it was kind of a, a black cloud over me when I heard this news that, Things weren't going to happen the way we thought they were. And I let that really um, affect how I thought about that person for probably half a day. Yeah. Yeah. And com- like I said, conversely, I do the same thing with people I love and adore. And they do something that is crappy. And sometimes I do the opposite. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. Hmm. And you're like, no, that was a really crappy thing they did. And I'm right. like, no, no. I'm And I'm very very willing to overlook it. So I think Catherine just kind of made me listening to your conversation with Catherine made me just realize, Oh, I, I can hold both. It's okay to hold both and they can be a great person and do really, really crappy things. And they can do crappy things a lot of the time and still be a nice person in other, in other ways. Um, and I can decide which way I, you know, based on everything, that, you know, good and bad in my, in my view, I can, I can decide which way I want to, um, fall on a decision.
0: Well, yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's the most important point is that there, there's always a choice of what we decide to do. yet sometimes we get kind of so uh, tunnel visioned into the way that we are feeling in the moment, driven by our emotion, maybe driven by our discontent or our frustration or disappointment or whatever it may be. And that we often make, don't make the wisest decisions from that state. But sometimes we need to make a quick decision. I, as you're, I'm listening to you here. Um, I guess I kind of look look in the mirror and say, I probably, I probably go to the other end of the spectrum. Is my has been my default in my life, where I um, I can see both sides of the story. Right. So if someone good does something bad, I can, I probably would see that as a a one-off thing out of character. I would certainly link if there were, were previous mm-hmm. episodes. Um, I wouldn't necessarily. I would. I would say I would forgive them, but I would like look beyond it.
1: Right. And uh, it I a, would say I'm okay doing that. I'm actually really good at that from a distance. Right? right. Like objectively, I'm really good at that. Right. But when it's really close to me, or I feel offended by the action or by something, then it's not so easy.
0: Yeah. And I can think of some examples when I was maybe leading a team in business, and someone on the team was doing something that just wasn't. Um, wasn't conducive to driving performance or getting results or teamwork and because it's a strength of mine but it's a strength that I can overuse of seeing both sides of the story, I might I might have downplayed the seriousness of their lack mm. of effort performance whatever it may be right. and let it let it ride too long right and I can distinctly remember a situation where the the, the breakthrough point for me was, Um, I had this team of 18 people and there was someone in another department that my team counted on. And to be specific, it was, uh, he was, he was the person we brought in, uh, who was the master of, I worked in an advertising agency, was a master of Google, Google advertising. Mm. And he actually helped Google. He consulted Google in designing their model. So he knew it inside and out. Right. And we brought him in to help grow our agency, Google ad revenues. Um, and, um, um, uh, so he was this brilliant guy, he, he, was, he was self-professed kind of technical geek, but he was great in front of clients. He could speak, clients speak, and he right. wouldn't go technical geek, uh, in, with clients. He understood the business acumen and everything else. His downfall was he was a very, uh, over and underdelivered uh-huh. constantly, especially with deadlines. I'll get that to you. I'll have that ready by Tuesday. And he would constantly fall short of that to the point where my team, which has had a client service, uh, managing client services, always had to be the bearer of bad news. So oh. they had to go to the clients and say, sorry, we're not quite ready yet. And it, you know, once in a while that's going to happen, but there started to be a theme emerge. And I was overly compassionate for this guy who was short on resources and stretched to the max and working crazy hours, overly compassionate, overly empathetic, and the, the break, the the penny dropping for me was when I realized I was, uh, the energy I was giving him was one of support, encouragement, let's, you know, we'll do what we can to one person. And then I turn around and I've got 17 people on my team who are stressed out and freaking out and client relationships are starting to struggle. Right. And when I realized that was so out of balance, uh, I realized we needed to make a change. And in fact, we had a board meeting, had a conversation and we had to have a vote to, to let him go or not. And there's I'm shortcutting that part of the story, but right. it went on for a while. But that was a really a breakthrough point for me, and it links back to this whole conversation with Catherine of, of, well, her point very much so and very importantly was saying we need to be able to look at both and hold both at the same time. It can right. it can resolve a lot of inner inner conflict. But the other part of that was the accountability part. At some point, you need to make a decision, and uh, it's a lesson and a reminder to me that at times I can probably I I definitely can. Be more aware of, am I letting this go a little bit too long? Right. Um, or do or does a decision need to be made or a conversation need to be had about holding someone, including myself, to the higher standard of accountability?
1: Right. I found a lot of, I'm going to segue to the second point, my my takeaway listening yeah. to this this conversation. And a lot of it was, you didn't mention it, but in my mind, listening to how we're holding to emotions, you know, whether it's. Um, frustration and happiness or, you know, I Catherine went through a, a lot of different examples, but a lot of it related for me as ways to reduce our guilt. And as a woman, and you're smiling already, I think women hold a lot of guilt in mm-hmm. life in general. Mm-hmm. And I am no different in that respect. So for me, it reminded me of the saying, don't should all over yourself. In other words, don't make yourself feel guilty thinking about all the things you should be doing, feeling, being, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought of Catherine used this example, but we're living it being a mother and the elation and frustration you can feel at the same time. Mm. And I think too, I've, I've connected with so many people, so many mothers, new mothers who have, been trying to get pregnant for 10 years or have lost several pregnancies along the way. And, you know, that happened to us where we lost a pregnancy along the way before we had our little guy. So you think that you should be happy, joyful, um, elated, and grateful all the time as soon as this new bundle of joy enters your life. And it's not that way. You can be happy, but you can also be frustrated, resentful, sad, um, angry, like all of those other emotions at the same time as being happy and grateful.
0: Do you feel... Uh, I've. It doesn't surprise me what you said, but I wasn't aware necessarily that you felt the way. Do you feel, would you call it pressure to feel happy and elated all the time? Or do you feel like that's that's the way it should be because motherhood has this In, halo story around it? or
1: Absolutely. And especially... In situations where you've been really anticipating and hoping and wanting mm. this, this child for so long. And I think that's where it amps up the, the should yes. for positive emotions is when, you know, I, I connected with a woman who had lost four pregnancies before getting pregnant with her first child that, that came into this world. And after After having this baby, she was just as tired and frustrated and angry as any other mother. But there's that added layer of, but I should be Mm. happy, joyful, thankful because I've been through so much to get here. Right. And that's not necessarily true. So I think by removing the should, as Catherine, she didn't mention that, but for me, it's being able to hold these two emotions and letting it be okay removes the should from from our thinking and from what we think we should feel and therefore removes a lot of the guilt.
0: Yeah. And the, the point there, you said there, I think the main one is and let it be okay. Versus where we, what Kath and I talked about was for me, what shows up for that, with that example or other examples, it's the, it's that when you feel the should, or you're feeling guilty for feeling guilty that you waste and you burn a lot of energy. Yeah. Trying to, I don't know what uh, the right analogy is, trying to suppress one emotion or knock one emotion out of you or pretend it doesn't exist. And you're fighting against yourself.
1: Well, fighting against yourself, but also then you go out into public and people are like, how are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm great. And it's such a, such a mask, (laughs) right? You're like putting on such a show, like the energy that takes to put on what you think you should be feeling. And I feel, and similarly you know forget motherhood but a lot of people can relate to losing someone close to them and all of the emotions that you go through the anger the sadness the the guilt the you know all of that and for some people especially for and i'll i'll say in the past couple of years you and i have gone to a couple funerals or have been close to people who have been caregivers for their loved ones before they died. Hmm. And especially for people who have been ill or their loved one has been ill for many years and they've been the caretaker, oftentimes when that person dies, there's tons of sadness. Absolutely. But in a lot of ways, there's relief. Yes. And that then equates to a lot of guilt for feeling relief that the person has died.
0: Which again, a, a, a great example. It's that we battle with our, we we, we p- kind of plot one of our emotions against the other, as if one should win, one should be better, one's more right, one's right. more wrong, and we can just we just lose a lot of time and energy, as opposed to, as Catherine said, being able to accept both, hold both to be true at the same time, and allowing it to be okay, like like she said, I I haven't. Uh, experience it directly myself, but I can understand what you're saying. That I can imagine with someone who's been wrestling for a while, and they, it's a realization to them that it's okay for them to feel both. There can just be a big exhale. It's like, oh, right? You're right. Like I've been, I've been wrestling with this for so long, and I don't need to.
1: Well, remember the conversation we had after your mother passed in the fall. So just to give a bit of a backstory. We had our little guy in June and then six, I think six weeks later, your mom got sick and was admitted to hospital. And it was eight weeks after that, that, uh, she passed. But in those eight weeks that she was in hospital, we went to live in her house while she was in hospital because she lived an hour and a half away. So to avoid the commute with our little guy, we went to live there. So we were kind of out of our, out of our own space going to the hospital on a daily basis oftentimes for several hours. Layer on top of that, she had just started a kitchen renovation that we were living through because we were living in her house, but also because I had renovation experience, I as the new mother of a 6 6 week old was now tasked with being the general contractor for this kitchen renovation or the project manager for it. There was a lot going on. Yeah. And at the so there were so many days where we were getting maybe three hours of sleep, four hours of sleep a night, but still getting up, putting on our, putting on our smile face and going to the hospital with our little guy, trying to, trying to time it with naps and feeding. Oftentimes I was coming home to the house early with a little guy in the back seat crying the entire way home from the hospital, just like wailing. because. Either I hadn't timed the nap right or the feeding right or whatever it was. It was a really, really stressful time. Like Mm. I can't, looking back, I don't know how we did it. Mm. And people say the same thing, but you just, you go through it. When your mom passed, I felt this enormous sense of relief because now my day was all of a sudden back on my schedule or at least the the baby's schedule, not on hospital visits and everything else and it took me probably 3 or 4 days before i admitted this to you and i i confessed i'm like you know i i want to let you know that i'm i'm really sad and i'm i'm so sad that your your mom passed but there's a huge sense of relief for me and i remember what you said you said i don't
0: remember this at all so tell me oh oh my god well probably because <laughs> we good? were probably <laughs> because we were so sleep deprived that you don't yeah. remember this conversation
1: at all and there was so much else going on at the time but i remember you saying that's okay I just hope that you're able to feel both. And, you know, as long as the sadness outweighs the relief, you're doing the right thing. Mm. And that was, and I was like, oh yeah, that, that's true. And that one, just sharing it just allowed me to. Sure. Provided me extra level of relief, but the permission to hold both. You know, especially as her son and everything else. Because there was so much guilt in feeling right, a sense right. of relief. Um, yeah, the the fact that you gave me permission to feel both was absolutely incredible.
0: Well, oh, you're welcome. I, I, I did Thank forget. I, I did forget about, I, I, I remember the context, but I didn't remember that exact conversation. But I, was, I actually forgot what I said, so I wasn't sure how the story was going to end right now. <laughs> But I'm glad that I said something to you in the moment that actually helped.
1: You did. You did. Okay, so I'm going to segue, unless you have something else to say. No, let's move on. I'm going to segue to the third takeaway for me. And I try and make this succinct for the sake of the after show. There were a lot of takeaways, but the third big one for me was the idea of people can be really great people and do a crappy thing. Yes. And they're still good people. Yes. And Catherine is the example of Black Lives Matter. And... She used the example of a cop, a policeman, can have a great career as a policeman, be upstanding in the community, a great cop, and do a really crappy thing. And the decision is, because of that crappy thing that was done, he can no longer be a policeman.
0: It reminds me of the adage of it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a moment to lose it.
1: Exactly. But it also made me think of this idea of cancel culture in society right now. And you hear a lot of it, especially in light, I follow US politics a lot, and especially in light of politics, you see a lot of people digging up and dredging up old stuff that people have done and using it as the defining moment of their character. Yes. And I think this idea pro- provides a, um, maybe more perspective and saying, and I'll use Joe Biden for for his, for an example, because he's been around for so long, everyone knows him. And because the primaries are are happening right now and, and people are dredging things up, Joe Biden in his 40, 50 year career as a politician cannot have done everything perfect. Um, and that doesn't ruin his character or his his track record of being a public servant for so long. Mm -hmm. And you can say that for the same Republicans. You know, I I was a big fan of John McCain and he didn't do everything perfectly, but on the whole, he was a great person. So I think this idea, and you see it with celebrities and everything else, you can hold both. You can be great in the community, a great service person, great at your job, you know, all of these different things. And you can still make mistakes sometimes. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can go on doing what you were doing as in a career or you know everything else but you can still be a good person
0: yeah and to the point of uh, back to the cop example you're right there there needs to be accountability yes and certain and uh, certain things are done wrong and then someone has to unfortunately lose their job or end a relationship or whatever it may be um, and you can still admire love and have compassion for that person even though a tough decision needed to be made right. And again, I think going through that, um, an, an example like that, where you can make a tough decision, but you make it with a sense of I don't know, inner peace or, or self-assuredness, knowing that this is the right thing to do for the values or the morals or the ethics that we have. Um, the person screwed up, um, but we still value and appreciate all the work that you've done. And even however that gets communicated, just by, by coming at the conversation in that way or looking at that person in that way, um I don't know, you can maintain you can maintain a level of of respect knowing that they're human and people make mistakes.
1: Yeah. And conversely, and sometimes this is hard for me, you can say, you know what? I don't like what that guy believes in. I don't I don't agree with his career or values or everything else. But this one thing, he he did he did the right thing. Mm you know sometimes that's harder to admit because it's so much easier just to paint someone with one brush stroke
0: yeah yeah so we love to hear as always i think those are great points and i and i think some i love these conversations because um we didn't, we never know exactly how these conversations you and that you and i had the after show is will go and flow but it makes me think about some things that i hadn't thought of for a while so so thank you for your contribution to my thinking in today's today's conversation Uh, As always, we'd love to hear from people who are listening to this and saying, what was your takeaways from the conversation with Catherine? What are are some of the things that you've wrestled with emotionally that uh, maybe this conversation that Sarah and I are having now or the after show, um, sorry, or the original interview with Catherine uh, made you really stop and think and maybe gave yourself permission to fully feel whatever you've been feeling.
1: Until next time.
0: Until next time. So there you have it, our after show edition. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We actually read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website, and respond to as many people as we can. We especially love hearing your real live voice, and you can leave comments and questions for us to include in future episodes as an audio message by going to theignitionshow.com slash connect. That's theignitionshow.com slash connect. We'd really love to build a community around you and your questions. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Janssen.
1: And I'm Sarah Janssen.
0: And this is The Ignition
1: Show.